Big thanks to Fume for sponsoring this episode of Past Gas. Start the year off right with a good habit by going to tryfume.com slash past and getting the journey back today. Fume is giving listeners of the show 10% off when they use my code PAST, P-A-S-T, to help make starting the good habit that much easier. Start the good habit at tryfume.com slash past to save 10% off the journey pack today. Big thanks to Indeed for sponsoring this episode of Past Gas. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash pastgas. Just go to indeed.com slash pastgas right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash pastgas. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Mark Donahue stuck out like a sore thumb when standing next to other drivers. His Ivy League crew cut and soft cherubic face just didn't fit the look of a race car driver. But regardless of how he looked on the outside, Mark was changing the sport from the inside by finding loopholes in racing regulations. His methodology not only changed the literal rules of racing, but also the industry as a whole. So how did this all-American Ivy League guy end up in a race car? How did he go from being nicknamed Captain Nice to Dark Donahue? (laughs) Dark Donahue. (laughs) And why did he pull that classic race car driver stunt by coming out of retirement after only a year off. Well, today on Pass Gas, we're talking about Captain Nice himself, Mark Donahue. Pass Gas Podcast. It's about cars, it's not about ports. Big thanks to Fume for sponsoring this episode of Pass Gas. Start the year off right with a good habit by going to tryfume.com slash past and getting the journey back today. Fume is giving listeners of the show 10% off when they use my code PAST, P-A-S-T, to help make starting the good habit that much easier. Start the good habit at tryfume.com slash past to save 10% off the journey pack today. 
Big thanks to Indeed for sponsoring this episode of Past Gas. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Past Gas. Just go to Indeed.com slash Past Gas right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Past Gas. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, remember how we used to call this guy Captain Nice? He's kind of dark. He's kind of mean. Yeah. Dark, hey, that rhymes with you. his first name. Oh, that's convenient for us. Yeah. Why uh, do people always, why is stick out like a sore thumb a sane? I've like never if, noticed if someone having If you had a sore thumb, I would yeah, not I notice. Yeah, never oh, it's because you can't bend it. Oh, stuck literally sticks out. Yeah. Oh, damn. Sticks out like a sore thumb. That's, that's cool. I actually think that's a cooler saying now. Yeah. yeah. That's sure. way cooler. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, uh, welcome to <laughs> Past Gas, everybody. Number one automotive podcast in the world. My name is Nolan Sykes, joined as always by my co-host, James Pumphrey. Mm, I, yeah. <laughs> Get it, girls. It sounded like you were idling it. Let's 3, go, 000. girls. So what, you're Brad Pitt? Yeah, right. And the best part about being a woman, it's Joe Weber. <laughs> hey, boys. <laughs> Joe Weber is the best part about being a woman. <laughs> the best part of waking up is Joe Weber. I think the last, like, sassy female vocalist that could fit in that category mm-hmm. with uh, Shania uh-huh. is probably Pink, right? Mm. Last one. That we, oh, I guess Nikki's pretty sassy. Nicki Minaj. Yeah. Pretty sassy. Would Cardi B sassy? Oh, Cardi B is sassy. Cardi B sassy. So I don't know. Taylor's a little about. sassy. Mm-hmm. She's a little sassy, yeah. Yeah. Christina hates Taylor Swift. I know. What the heck? Dude. Producer of Passcast, the number one automotive podcast on the planet. Christina hates Taylor Swift. Dude. It's so weird. People are so, going to start uh, doing the snake emoji on your Instagram yeah. oh, post. I now. love, I just want to go on record to say that. All of the hosts of Past Gas love Swift. I sat through that three and a half hour concert movie. Did you go to the theaters? Three and a half Did hours? Were people dancing and stuff? Uh, No. Didn't yeah. see much dancing. A lot of singing along, though. That's cool. Yeah. So That's just in fun. case you guys want to update from a movie that came out three months ago now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, is, it was actually really good. I bet. Yeah. I think you're the Travis Kelsey of automotive podcasts. <laughs> I'll take it, dude. I will <laughs> take that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'll take it. Um, and I'm the Jason Kelsey. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. He's in so that. I guess I'm just... Uh, You're the it? Michael Vick. <laughs> <laughs> I do love pitting dogs against each other. Yeah, yeah. You're the Michael Vick of Automotive yeah. Podcast. Because you're always pitting these two dogs oh, against each other. Oh, no. Yeah, you're always making these oh, two dogs yeah, fight. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. yeah, man. Let's go, girls. Let's do it. Mark Donahue was born in Haddon Township, New Jersey, on March 18th, 1937. March 18th? Day before my birthday. Two days before mine. So you guys are like triplets, Dude, basically. 18, 19, a, 20? Dude, yeah. if we were friends with Donahue, we could have a rager joint party. <laughs> uh, Mark came from a well-off Catholic family. Nice. And his family was described as, quote, a very proper Easterner. Nice. I'm Catholic. Yeah. I'm the Catholic car YouTuber. Yeah. That's how I'm known. <laughs> Mark had a relatively normal suburban upbringing in Summit, New Jersey. His interest in cars began when his dad let him steer the family sedan at age 12. And he got his first car at 15 
which was a 1937 convertible without fenders. What was the first cars that you guys steered? Uh, probably CJ5. No, CJ7. Uh, mine was a 1985 Mercury Grand Marquis. Mine was a 1986. Show? El Camino. Oh, wow. that's wow. a good one. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That's still in the DNA. We were driving on a dirt road outside of the dump. I love the there dirt. There you go. That we was the still. era when it was like eight liters and 135 uh, horsepower. I think it had like a 305 in it oh, or okay. something. It's pretty gutless. But uh, yeah, El Camino. My mom bought it. That's tight. And then my dad bought it from her. Bought it from your mom. Mm -hmm. So no shared expense cards in your household? Uh, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't sound like at that time. Yeah. Hmm. But I don't know. Is that how they met? Your your dad bought at, a car off your mom? At the dump? No. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. They had, they had uh, mutual friends. Oh, cool. Uh, That's the hinge of the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> mutual friends? Yeah. yeah. The, the dump was the... <laughs> <laughs> Tinder of the seventies. <laughs> I think it still is in some circles. The dump. Uh, Mark attended Brown University, where he. Speaking of dumps, speaking of dumps, brown. Dumps. Brown no. is the color of poop. <laughs> it's a very storied. No, I know. College. Yeah, it's Ivy know. League. It's Ivy League. It's big time. Uh, he graduated. I. Brown University. Don't. Don't contact me. About that joke. But Don't do contact me about, about my it. application. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Mark attended Brown University where he graduated with a mechanical engineering degree. While at school, Mark wanted to purchase a British or European sports cars like his friends did. His, you know, fancy friends. His father, though, convinced him otherwise and helped him buy a more sensible 1957 <laughs> Corvette. <laughs> nice. Hell yeah. This might not have been what Mark initially wanted, but in his senior year, the 22-year-old entered this sensible Corvette into his first hill climb race at Belknap, New Hampshire, and he won. I mean, his dad's a smart guy. A Corvette, like, I know sensible is in quotes in the script, but probably a lot more reliable with that I mean, Chevy V8 probably than any cheaper of the too. British or European sports cars that his friends were driving. It, Yeah. After this, Mark sold the Corvette so he could buy an Elva Courier. Uh, the Elva allowed Mark to enter his first SCCA competition, competing in the F production class. At 24, he raced for the first time, and shortly thereafter, he won the 1961 SCCA National Championship. Nice. Damn, son. I've never heard of this Elva Courier before, but it looks like a speed racer car. Yeah, same colors. Oh, that is his little speed racer car. Yeah, it looks like a classic British uh, roadster, very European looking. Mark hoped that the win would give him some momentum in his racing career, but unfortunately, it didn't. He was unable to raise enough money to keep competing, so he wasn't able to race for uh, a few years. To fill the time, he attended night school and worked for Raybestos, a company that produced automotive brakes. I have some Raybestos brakes on my Imperial. Nice. Uh, Mark also had a short-lived career selling industrial dust collectors. Neither job fulfilled Mark. Industrial. Industrial. We put the dust. We take the dust out of industrial. I mean, I love dust, but I don't know if I can commit a whole career to it, you know? <laughs> yeah, neither of these jobs fulfilled Mark, and he couldn't stop thinking about racing. At 27, Mark was hired to be a chief engineer of a car-building venture by Jack Griffith, the owner of a Ford dealership. While his position got him back in the automotive world, Mark still dreamt of being a professional driver and participated in races whenever he could. At his day job, he was perceived as just another guy trying to do something that would keep him around cars. Quote, 
But in the background, a couple of important people were keeping an eye on Mark, like the experienced driver, Walt Hansgen. I'm just a normal guy. Don't pay no never mind to me. <laughs> Walt hooked Mark up with an MGB so he could race in the 1964 Bridgehampton 500-mile SCCA endurance event, which Mark won. Impressed by his skills, Walt invited Mark to co-drive a Ferrari 250 LM at the 1965 12 Hours of Sebring, where they finished an impressive 11th place. Mark also won two divisional championships in 65, the SCCA B-Class in a Shelby Cobra and the SCCA Formula C in a Lotus 20B car. (laughs) (laughs) Mark's record made it easy for Walt to convince Ford to hire them for their team. Mark signed a deal to drive a Ford GT40 in a handful of international endurance races, and at 29, Mark was finally starting his professional racing career. It's kind of old. A little, By little bit. Today's yeah. standards. I know, but he's been. I mean, he's been, he's been doing SCCA stuff. Yeah. He's been keeping his feet wet. Ew. Yuck. Getting trench foot, racing those cars out there. Mark and Walt co-drove in many races after he signed on to Ford. Some of Mark's notable placements was finishing third at the 24 Hours of Daytona and the second place finish at the 12 Hours of Sebring. Mark and Walt were both scheduled to race in the 66-24 Hours of Le Mans in one of Holman and Moody's three entries, but this race would prove devastating for Mark. While testing the GT40 in wet conditions, Walt lost control of the car and crashed. Unfortunately, Walt didn't make it. A spokesman for Ford said, quote, Hankston's car appeared to have been aquaplaning on the wet track, leaving no way for the driver to control it. In a last-minute scramble, Mark had to partner with the Australian driver, Paul Hawkins. Hawkins had driven in Le Mans before and was assigned to the start. Mark was disappointed. He wanted the chance to prove his medal in honor of his fallen friend and considered the duty of starting the race in honor. Following the traditional Le Mans start, Hawkins took off too hard and broke a drive shaft, oh, Hawkins. which brought the bronze GT40 back to the pits. Oh. And the trouble didn't stop there. That is pretty crummy, though. Like, your, your partner dies, and mm-hmm. you're like, okay, I'll take over. And then this Australian guy comes, and he's like, nah, Not so nor, fast, mate. Nor, mate. Nor, oh, I'm sorry. Nor. Nor. You go second. Nor. <laughs> Oops, I brought the drive shaft. <laughs> Hawkins was back into the pits within a few more laps, complaining that the car's balance was off and pulling to one side. This guy. <laughs> uh, Mark convinced boss John Holman to let him take a diagnostic lap. After all, Mark wasn't just a driver, but a talented engineer. Yeah. Uh, even though Mark was able to successfully diagnose and fix the issue, which was some bent push rods, uh, and head back out again, it wasn't long before there was another issue. Mark had issues with the braking at the end of the Mulsanne Strait going 210 miles an hour, and snap, the rear bodywork flew off and into the trees. Even though Mark regained control of the car, officials tried to disqualify the team. Mark convinced them to let him find the missing Mm -hmm. bodywork, wire it back into place, and re-enter the race, but a damage differential finally ended the race for the team only 12 laps in. Man, that's a bummer. A bad day at the races. Yes. Better than a good day at the office, though. <laughs> I feel ya. I feel ya. I feel ya. Have you met my daughter, I feel ya? <laughs> Weird name. <laughs> Despite a heartbreaking run at Le Mans and the tragic death of his friend and mentor, Mark would soon find reason to keep going. 
At Walt's funeral, Roger Penske approached Mark on the subject of driving for him. Roger claimed, Mark was known to have a methodical approach, and he was willing to commit to working for me full-time, which counted for a lot, because I wasn't looking for no one part-time at the time. Penske got a lot more Southern in the- Halfway through? Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't doing enough of a character, I decided, so I decided to pump it up. The racing industry wasn't too keen on Ivy League guys like Mark and Roger. I think the people at Indy thought we were the college guys with the crew haircuts and the polished wheels. We used to clean our garage out every night, and that was something people didn't understand, Roger later said about Mark. So it's like the opposite of the comedy community, where yeah. like the Harvard guys are like shunned. Yeah. We learned how to clean garages in at Harvard. <laughs> you know. Ivy League stuff, like cleaning your garage. <laughs> Regardless of what the industry thought, Mark became Roger's muse when it came to racing. The duo were like-minded and hardworking. Their professional and personal relationship had since been compared to Jim Clark and Colin Chapman. Oh. Pairing with Roger put Mark on the map, so much so that his style of driving became known as the Penske way. That's like if Nolan's style of hosting became known as the Pumphrey way. <laughs> Not fair. <laughs> at age 29, Mark completed his first race for Roger at Walkins. Yeah, that wouldn't be unfair. Wait a minute. It would have been, yeah. 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 To me. Yeah, to you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by proxy, to Mark. Yeah. At age 29, Mark completed his first race for Roger at the Watkins Glen Grand Prix, driving a Lola T70 Mark II. As racer John Hilton recalled, four of us were battling for a championship, all running McLarens, then off-road this Lola, and it was absolutely immaculate. Nobody had ever seen anything like it. It was so sleek and clean, and Mark just jumped into the car and smoked us all in qualifying. So fresh and so clean, clean. No reaction to that impression? That was great. <laughs> like Lord Farquaad. Yeah. During the race, driver John Cannon crashed his genie Mark 10 into Joe Bazetta's 906 Porsche. Mark couldn't avoid him made contact, and his Lola slid before catching fire. Luckily, Mark escaped the burning car with his suit still on fire and only sustained minor injuries. That's why seatbelts suck. Cause <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> you're just stuck in there burning? Yeah. After the race, Roger was able to persuade his sponsor, Sun Oil Company, which is far inferior to Valvoline, <laughs> To purchase a new car, the number 16 Chevrolet Lola T70 Mark II. Oh, Sunoco. Yeah. But this time, there would be a big difference. Mark and Penske agreed to switch from a 427 big block Chevy engine to a 333 cubic inch Chevy small block after issues with the larger engine's reliability. They called that one the half devil. Yeah. That's 333. Cool, That's tight. They That's actually that. my D&D &D character. They don't call it that? No, they, they should. should. That's yeah. sick. Half devil. Yeah. Got a half devil under the hood <laughs> board two over. I'm half devil, half orc. Uh, I'm a paladin. <laughs> <laughs> 
It was a good call. Mark Donahue earned his first Team Penske victory at the USRRC competition at Pacific Raceway. Nice. Mark carried that winning momentum over to the next USRRC race, winning Team Penske's first ever pole position at the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course. We've been to Mid-Ohio. I've been to Mid-Ohio. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful track. Unfortunately, mechanical issues forced an early end to his race, but it didn't deter the driver, and he eventually finished eighth in the final 1966 USRRC championship standings. If that wasn't enough, Mark also won three Can-Am races in 1966 and finished second in the final standings. A year after Walt's passing at age 30, Mark was invited by Shelby American Racing to race in the 1967 24 Hours of Le Mans alongside Bruce McLaren behind the wheel of a Ford GT40 Mark IV. That's a dream right there. Yep. Though McLaren and Mark disagreed on multiple aspects of racing and car setup, they were able to place fourth overall, beaten by another Ford Shelby team and Ferrari. It was around this time that Mark and Roger Penske turned their attention to a relatively new series, the Trans-American Championship. Trans Am, baby. Trans Am, Cute baby. Eagle scream. Ow! I <laughs> <laughs> hurt my throat. I didn't even try to do it because I was gonna knew I was gonna hurt my throat. Eagles are like. <laughs> Eagles are like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. What we always think of a red-tailed hawk mm-hmm. when we think when we see pictures of eagles, hawks but they are have sick. Really like whiny. The eagle's like, bah, bah, bah. Yeah. <laughs> they sound like flamingos. We'll be right back with more of this story, but first, a word from our sponsors. For weekend warriors to everyday adventurers, discover the 2024 Subaru Crosstrack. It comes standard with symmetrical all-wheel drive, designed to help optimize traction in rain, snow, on bad roads, or even when there's no road at all. A choice between two Subaru Boxer engines, a standard 2-liter or an available 2.5-liter, which is retuned for 2024 to deliver 182 horsepower and even more torque for responsive, confident acceleration. With 8.7 inches of ground clearance and X-Mode with hill descent control, which electronically optimizes the engine, transmission, and other systems for increased traction in slippery conditions, Crosstrek helps provide peace of mind on almost any road. These cars are super dependable, very capable. They've got a very durable exterior and new for 2024 and improved interior. This thing's awesome. Love is out there. Find it in a Crosstrek. Learn more at Subaru.com. Big thanks to Fume for sponsoring this episode of Pass Gas. Listen, cold turkey make a great sandwich, but it's not a great way to break your bad habits. We're not talking about some crazy mind tricks or, you know, weird holistic stuff. We're talking about our sponsor, Fume. They look at the problem in a different way. Not everything in a bad habit is wrong. So instead of a drastic, uncomfortable change, why not just remove the bad from your habit? Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavored air device that does just that. Instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, Fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses delicious flavors. Instead of bad, Fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Fume comes in a bunch of different flavors like herbal tea. Start the year off right with a good habit by going to tryfume.com past and getting the journey back today. Fume is giving listeners of the show 10% off when they use my code PAST, P-A-S-T, 
to help make starting the good habit that much easier. Start the good habit at tryfume.com slash past to save 10% off the journey pack today. Big thanks to Indeed for sponsoring this episode of Past Gas. We are driven by a search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. I've done hiring in the past for Donut, and it is a pain in the butt. But if I had a tool like Indeed when I was doing hiring, it would have made things so much easier. Just their matching function is super robust. So join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash PassGas. Just go to Indeed.com slash PassGas right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash PassGas. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In preparation for the second-ever Trans Am season, Roger brought on driver Sam Posey as insurance to make sure more experienced drivers like George Fulmer and Parnelli Jones wouldn't gang up on Mark. Sam knew Mark would be able to hold his own once he saw him, quote, reach for his rearview mirror and twist it up, sending a signal to George and Parnelli that he didn't much care for what they had in mind. Hmm. What does that mean? I don't care what's going on behind oh. me. Ah... Uh, Sam said that the races were tough. He'd sweat so much that his earplugs would wear out. Maybe they were made out of wax. <sighs> Maybe. Definitely. You have to like collect your earwax and then uh, no, they're stuff made them out back like, in. No, they're made out of like wax, like swimming earplugs. Oh. I didn't know that was a thing. Like yeah. beeswax? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the days following those races. Maybe paper? Maybe something. Little oh, yeah, tampons? Probably, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Little tampons sense. for your ear holes. In the days following those races, Sam would call his mother, but Mark would have she to speak with her dork. for Sam because Sam couldn't hear. According to pretty much everyone on the team, Mark was a nice guy both on and off the track. Sam described Mark as a strong driver that never grew tired. He said, quote, He better look soft, but he's made of iron. And that he had willpower, duty, and engineering. Speaking of engineering, Team Penske was flush with cash, which gave Mark the luxury to try every technical detail he could think of, every technical idea he could think of, which gave Mark the luxury to try every technical idea he could think of. Roger and Mark became a mischievous and playful pair that searched for loopholes and racing rules, <laughs> which Mark called, quote, the quest for well, the unfair advantage. Nice. Little half devils. Little half devils. <laughs> For example, to speed up refueling, Mark and Roger would use a 20 foot tall tower. 25 <laughs> foot. 25 foot tall. I've never seen a picture of this. It's really funny to. To squeeze more fuel into a tank, they would cool the fuel with dry ice. But the biggest trick of all involved experimenting with Roger's 1967 Camaro Z28s. Mark and Roger discovered that they could make the cars lighter by dipping them in acid baths so that small amounts of metal would be eaten away. This was a drag racing trick that inevitably made the car faster. Uh, after an acid bath, 
Mark won an SCCA race by lapping the entire field of cars, and this caused major suspicion among the paddock. And as a result, stewards investigated and discovered it was 250 pounds lighter than the 2,800-pound minimum weight requirement. The stewards threatened to take away Mark's victory for cheating, but Roger Penske stepped in, warning that, quote, any disqualification would have the potential of motivating Chevrolet to pull all support out of the Trans Am series. Wow, he's big dogging them. We yeah. wouldn't want that now, would we, stewards? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Roger's conviction worked, and the stewards allowed Mark to keep his win. Regardless, the stewards were angry and told Mark that the car was, quote, banned forever and would never see the light of day in any SCCA race. So what am I supposed to do with this thing now? The following year, the rules were changed to require that all cars be weighed oh. in, be weighed in <laughs> during the pre-tactical inspection. However, Mark and Roger continued to acid dip their cars anyway. <laughs> then they'd place specifically sized weights at strategic points of the car to balance it against the regulated weight limit. But this time, it wasn't just Team Penske who was cheating. Acid dip cars became commonplace for others competing uh, in Trans Am as well. It's crazy that. Uh, Camaro in the seventies was less than twenty eight hundred pounds. I know. I was thinking about that. That's nuts. That is nutty. Along with the changing rules, the nineteen sixty eight Trans Am season shifted to include two of the most uh, prized endurance races: the twenty four hours of Daytona, wow, and the twelve hours of Sebring. Roger and Mark entered two of their lightweight cars in the twelve hours of Sebring, and the cars had a difference of two hundred fifty pounds between them, but they were modeled and painted to be identical from the outside. Oh, man, that's sneaky. sneaky. Yeah, engineering, like a magician does <laughs> engineering. As Mark later told Chevy engineer Paul Van Valkenburg, quote, oh, We pulled a tricky stunt. <laughs> I carefully shaped the number circles so that they could be easily interchanged between the number 16 for one car and the number 15 for the other. First, we went through tech inspection with the heavy and legal number 15 car. Then we went back to our garage on the far side of the track, put the number 16 on it, and went back through inspection again. <laughs> Nobody said a word. Wow. See, the tricky thing about the numbers 15 and 16 is it's just a small little curved line that separates <laughs> them. Both cars were raced in the 12 hours of Sebring by Mark and Craig Fisher. And that season, the pair won 10 out of 13 races, setting a Trans Am record that would not be broken until Tommy Kendall 30 years later. Mark and Roger continued to mod their cars in the name of unfair advantages. They had trick brake calipers that allowed the crew to change pads in eight seconds, specifically reconfigured noses that drooped unconventionally towards the tarmac but looked stocked to the inspector's tape measurers, and wafer-thin roofs whose proclivity to buckle and warp required that they be hidden by black vinyl. When questioned by a suspicious SCCA official about the last tactic, Roger said, quote, We just like the look of vinyl. Whether it was loopholes, luck, or hard work, Mark became the leading Trans Am driver of the late 60s and early 70s. But the Trans Am season wasn't the only place that Mark raced. In 1969, Mark took part in his first Indy 500, where he placed 7th and won Rookie of the Year. Mark continued to race in the Indy 500, and finally in 1972, one behind the wheel of a McLaren Offenhauser. He also set a record where he hit a speed of over 162 miles per hour, which stood until 1984. No. Why isn't Offenhauser still around? Do they make engines? They are still, still around. Yeah, they, they do engines. Okay. Yeah, they're not like a car manufacturer. 
that every story that takes place during this time period, it's always mm-hmm. like Off against the Offy. Yeah. Yep. And I don't hear that we name should, anymore. We should uh, do an episode on them. It oh, might, let us might. know in the comments if you want us to do an episode on Offenhauser engines. Mark's success in the Trans Am series made his rivals suspicious, and he was often rightfully accused of cheating. But you Mark, caught me. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. I admit it, I cheated. But Mark was <laughs> passionate about engineering and liked to think outside the box when it came to his unfair advantages. Most drivers relied on their team of engineers and mechanics to fine-tune their cars, but Mark was an engineer and a mechanic himself. While driving, he would note changes he could make to the car for the next race and was often described as the thinking man's racer. Ooh. And while Mark's technical engineering skills set him apart from other drivers, his kind and well-mannered nature did so too. He even earned the moniker Captain Nice. His kindness also inspired his team to take the time to tinker adjust, and reapproach the cars they worked on. As time went on, Mark's team became his extended family. But while Mark seemed to be holding everything together, his interior world began to crumble. Mark spent long hours in his shop, usually working 20-hour days and sleeping on the floor after a long weekend of oh, racing. Oh, man, you got to do some self-care. Yeah, man, you got to <laughs> go hang out with your girl, dude. Even though this was how Mark wanted it, he couldn't handle all the pressure or responsibilities. The team's successes allowed Roger to make bigger deals, which inevitably crushed Mark. He would work relentlessly through the week and then push through his exhaustion and race over the weekend. His lack of rest made him insecure and paranoid. Do you know how insecure and paranoid you'd have to be to make it into this script? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, like 40 years later, three dudes in Inglewood, California are like, yeah, that dude was insecure and paranoid. Yeah, yeah. he didn't you know? he didn't care for his body at all. <laughs> yeah. One friend, Jody Stropas, said he became terribly insecure, convinced that Roger could replace him with AJ Foyt or anyone else that he might want. At home, his relationship with his wife, Sue, began to fall apart and the two eventually got divorced. While Mark was racing, Sue was at home raising their young sons, David and Michael. Mark was an absent father that hardly saw his children throughout the years. According to son David, he, quote, never really got to know his father. Jeez. When news got out that Mark and Sue were splitting, a friend, George Lyle, persuaded Mark to let International Management Group handle his personal affairs. At IMG's office, Mark brought in two shoeboxes full of unpaid bills. It was clear that while his professional career was reaching new heights, his personal life was chaotic and falling apart. Mark pushed aside his personal issues when Porsche hired him to develop the 91710 and compete in the KM series. The 917 was a prototype car developed by Porsche to, quote, exploit the regulations regarding the construction of five liter sports cars. During a test ride, Mark suggested that the car have larger brake ducts in order to allow for more cooling to slow degradation during a race. The Porsche engineers agreed, but failed to mention that the larger duct size interfered whack, whack, uh, with the bodywork's closure pins that attached the body panels to the car. So, d- during the following test ride, Mark came out of a turn at 150 miles per hour, and just like in the 1966 Le Mans race, the rear bodywork flew off the car. The car became unstable and lifted off the ground and tumbled down the track. The car's front tore away, which left Mark still strapped to his safety seat with his legs dangling out of the car. 
Mark's knees were shattered <sighs> and he yeah. needed surgery. So Porsche hired Mark's old Trans Am teammate, George Fulmer, to take over testing. Mark said, quote, It doesn't feel right seeing another man driving your car, a car you know so well. I imagine it must feel like watching another man in bed with your wife. Jeez. I doubt it. Right. It's probably way Weirdo. different. Yeah, it's probably. I would let any of my friends drive my car. Yeah. <laughs> Just wait till I get my knees. <laughs> wait till I get my knees back. Once his knees had healed, Mark went on to help develop the uh, 91730, which was a heavily modified open top version of the 917 that gave Porsche oh, its first Le Mans win. This is so cool. It sported a 5.4 liter twin turbo flat 12. What? I want to hear this. Yeah, yeah. good Lord. And the 91730 quickly earned the nickname the Can-Am Killer since Mark won six out of eight races in the 73 Can-Am series. Killer Can-Am. <laughs> Killer Can-Am. I think it's so secure so. of Killer Cam this to was have <laughs> pink, fluffy, mm-hmm. Bucket hats and, and like oversized jackets as his thing. I think you know? uh, this car was at the Peterson. Yes. This mm-hmm. is where I've seen it. It's yeah. tiny. That's yeah, really yeah, small. It's so small. It looks, these Can-Am cars look huge in pictures. Yeah. And yeah. then you see them, you're like, oh, that's why people died so much because there's nothing. Yeah, they're tiny. They're tiny. I think that's also why I th- always think race, race car drivers are bigger than they are. Oh, yeah. Because you see them standing next to this and you're like, oh, that's a Big guy, big and they're like and five they're, foot three. Yeah, they're tiny. That same year, in 73, uh, Mark set a long-standing record at the Talladega Super Speedway by reaching 221.16 miles per hour during a closed-course run. According to Porsche, for the run, the 91730 was fitted with two intercoolers and made around 1,230 oh horsepower. What? In like a wheelbarrow. Yeah, yeah <laughs> for real. <laughs> According to Mark, it was a beast to drive. Quote, you tend to lift the throttle and you have to tell yourself it's going to make the turn. You can keep the (laughs) throttle down. And so far, I've not been able to keep it down all the way. But I think we're getting closer. (laughs) It's very tight. It's very fragile. It's very sensitive to steering movements. Consequently, at those speeds on this kind of banking, it's, uh, you would say, very, very darty. (laughs) Jeez. I bet it's so fun to drive. I bet not. I bet it's scary as hell. I would never go past like 20% yeah. of the throttle. This guy's driven like IndyCar. Like he held the IndyCar record for like highest speed. Yeah. And he's like, this thing's pretty nuts. Yeah, for real. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably going to make the turn. Yeah. Held the IndyCar record for top speeds like as a rookie in IndyCar. Yeah. Like, like he's a guy who's like, yeah, let's open it up, see what it can do. Yeah. And he's like, this car's pretty tough. <laughs> 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 this one's a little scary, honestly, TBH. We'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, It can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. 
or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Even though Mark reached the highest level of professional racing, it was obvious that the pressure was taking a toll on him. His teammates and friends caught a glimpse of this around his divorce from Sue. But it was evident that Mark needed to take a break. Mark went from Captain Nice to Dark Donahue among colleagues. <laughs> Racing in the 1973 Indy 500 and competing against his close friend, Swede Savage. I love that name. Is what ultimately pushed him over the edge. On lap 58, Swede lost control of his car and crashed into a nearby wall. The vehicle exploded and launched him into the air. Jeez. Swede died in the hospital 33 days later. Can you imagine, dude? It's a long time days. to be in the hospital. Yeah. <clears throat> Mark was devastated by the loss of his friend, struggling in his personal and professional life, and estranged from his family. He decided to announce his retirement from racing at age 36. He's only 36? What? During his retirement, he acted as the president of Penske Racing and focused on writing his book, The Unfair Advantage. He was slowly rebuilding his private life and bought a boat and a new home. At this time, Mark also met the Atlanta socialite and model Eden White, who he eventually married. It's a pretty good year. <laughs> Got a boat, a house, and a model wife. Although Mark was happy, he couldn't quite let go of racing. The New York Times wrote, He knew racing drivers couldn't come back. He said to himself many times, But in eight months of retirement, the quiet, well-spoken kid from the other side of the tracks learned that the hobby that had become an obsession still haunted him. He knew maybe all along that he would come back. Back to racing. <laughs> <laughs> Roger Penske knew Mark couldn't quit racing. It was in his blood. So he lured his friend back behind the wheel to compete in Formula One for Penske Cars LTD. Nice. Unable to resist the pull of F1, Mark's retirement ended after just one year. He climbed back into the cockpit at age 38, the oldest racer on the grid. Formula Run racing is the one thing I haven't done in my career, he said. It's the ultimate challenge. Gotta agree. It's pretty hard. Fernando Alonso's 42. Wow. And he retired for one year? For a few years in F1. Yeah. During what she was doing endurance racing. And it racing. feels like he's having the best time of his life he's right now. He's having a great time. During Mark's brief retirement, Roger was busy building his Penske PC1 car, but it wasn't <laughs> quite up to Penske standards. Mark drove the PC1 in the last two races of the 74 Formula 1 season, but it suffered from reliability issues. He placed 12th out of 16 and retired in the final race of the season. True to form, Roger couldn't be deterred. They continued to work on the car and developed a plan for the 75 season. Unfortunately, the PC1 had to be retired after only six races due to a problematic chassis. Nothing. Well, I was going to say PC and problematic. Yeah. I was trying to think. Couldn't really put and, anything yeah, together. Me me My chassis is being pro problematic this morning because I ate chicken wings last night. My chassis <laughs> said the N-word. <laughs> <laughs> so Mark opted to drive the March 751 instead. 
Five hours after the start of the 12th race of the season, the Austrian Grand Prix, Mark was taking a practice lap when his March 751 blew a tire and crashed into a guardrail before hurtling over it. Tragically, debris from the crash killed a race marshal and injured another. At first, it seemed like Mark wasn't too severely injured, aside from a bump on the head. But as the day went on, he complained of a worsening headache. He went to the hospital the next day, where he lapsed into a coma from a cerebral hemorrhage. Unfortunately, Mark never woke up and died on August 19th, 1975. Damn. Mark's body was flown back to Summit, New Jersey, where a funeral was held at St. Teresa's Roman Catholic Church, the same church where he was confirmed and received his first communion. Over 1,000 people attended, including his wife, Eden, his two sons, Daniel and Michael, Walt Hansgen's widow, and drivers Mario Andretti, Brian Redman, and Bobby Allison. Roger Penske was there as a pallbearer. After the funeral, his wife, Eden, filed a lawsuit against Goodyear and blamed their tires for Mark's death. The lawsuit resulted in a $12 million settlement for his family. Mark's book, The Unfair Advantage, was published right before he passed. The book isn't so much an autobiography, but a detailed step-by-step record of every engineering approach Mark took to achieve the highest performance in each car he drove. That sounds like an engineer book. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's not a real page-turner. Or normies like me. Uh, There's not a single vampire. (laughs) (laughs) Driver John Hilton remembers Mark always laughing. Whether he was Captain Nice or Dark Donahue, fellow racers always recognized his hard work and phenomenal racing skill. He was the winningest driver in Team Penske history and was one of the inaugural inductees into the Team Penske Hall of Fame. He won a remarkable 59 times for the team over his 10 years of competition. Perhaps driver Bobby Allison put it best. He was, I feel, the finest road race driver that this country has ever produced. And given enough time, just one more year maybe, he would have become America's first world champion. And there you have it, the story of Mark Donahue. Rest in peace, Dark Donahue. Rest in peace, nice Mark. Yeah. (laughs) Mr. Nice. Captain Nice. Captain Captain Nice. nice. Captain Nice. Hey, I didn't go to... Nice boot camp to be called Mr. (laughs) (laughs) We've got some listener mail now. Yeah. Hello, I'm Alan. I'm a 15-year-old donut fan just writing just to tell you how much you have helped me when I had cancer. You're one of the best podcasts I've ever heard. Me and my dad and mom love your videos. Lots of love from India. By the way, my favorite member is (laughs) Nolan. Thank you, Alan. I think I just love his bubbly and extremely friendly attitude. Though I also like James and Joe. Hey, there you oh, go. Got yeah, some problems. Yeah, there you, you go. Yeah. Love your work. Keep it juiced. Cool. Hey, thanks, thank Alan. you, Alan. All right, Alan. Dude. Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Thanks for throwing us in there at the end. Cantor huh? <laughs> 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 uh, is... Had he said had, so hopefully yeah, that's had. past tense. Yeah, glad we could keep Chipper doing yeah, a hope tough you're, time. Hope you're doing yeah. well right now, man. Uh, if you'd like to get in contact with the show and juice up James or Joe a little bit, uh, yeah, hit us maybe. up. Yeah, that's one word, that's, that's one way to describe it. Uh, juice them yeah. up at uh, pascas at donomedia.com. You can send an email just like Alan did. Thank you so much. Big thank you to our writer this week. Liz O'Lear, yeah, and our producers, as always, Christina Felsky, 
Gavin Kinzel and our man behind the camera, Nick Giamuso. And also thank you to you for listening so much uh, as we enter this new year. Um, and we love you and we appreciate we you, you so much. And I think I'm pretty bubbly and extremely friendly. Yeah. These yeah. Guys, yeah. They're nice You're guys too. Great. Yeah. Uh, as well as no one. <laughs> yeah. We're all good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next time. Pass gas. Pass gas out. I'm going to pass out gas. PGO. Test out. has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.